Hello and welcome back to Back in My Play. This is episode number 47 and I got a really special episode for you this time because I have two great guests on the line coming from bravewave.net and also uh, I might have mentioned in previous episodes that we're going to have these guys on the show because they're working on some awesome, awesome stuff over there and I'm going to introduce uh, both of them. We're going to do our best because I know it gets a little bit crowded on Skype so so bear with us but we're going to be talking about a lot of awesome, uh, fantastic music and uh, really again the great stuff that they're doing over at Brave Wave. So uh, first off you may have heard him if you've been listening to 8-4 uh, Play over the, the years. Um, he was on there a bunch of times. CVX Freak of course on NeoGAF and on, on Twitter and that's Alex Aniel, I, I don't know if I got the last name right. Uh, you did. Good right. job. <laughs> Man, I just get so stressed out about this. It's not even funny. but um, <laughs> Nice to be here. Thanks. Yeah, so uh, of course, uh, along with Alex from Brave Wave, we also have uh, Mohammed Tahir. Did I get that? I almost tried yeah, to like roll it. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> I almost tried to roll the R. Um, like, <laughs> not that that makes sense, but all my the only kind of like relationship that i would have with that is like what i learned in spanish class so i apologize for <laughs> for that um, no, right. but obviously thank you guys because we're coming well this is like literally across the globe that we're recording this right now thanks to the magic of the internet because um alex you're still in japan right uh yes i'm based in tokyo and mohammed where are you in kuwait oh god so, yeah we're basically like going straight across the globe uh and mm. Again, fantastic internet is allowing us to do that. So I, I want to start and really start at the beginning with, uh, like I said, we're going to be talking about a lot of cool stuff. And by the time that this is out, um, you would have probably have heard uh, what Brave Wave is is working on with Retroactive Volume 1 um, with uh, Keiji uh, Yamagishi, which I hope I could pronounce his name right. Yamagishi. Yamagishi. Um, yeah. And... This is this is an awesome album, and I would even say like right now you might want to just pause it and go to the Brave Wave store <laughs> and, and grab it right now because I've been listening to this album nonstop for about a week now, and I'm getting ahead of myself. I apologize. I'm very excited. I'm caffeinated. So, uh, like I said, let's take a step back and uh, Mohammed, let's let's talk a little bit about just like the genesis of of Brave wave uh itself before we talk about your past with with video game music because this is uh something that we talked a little bit off air but um you guys are really starting to to bring these artists of our video game past to the the forefront and uh bring their new content uh and making it available to everyone um at the beginning i was you know there was there were no plans to actually make a record label and I was just wor working on my first album, World One Two, and the idea was, you know, I, I was just thinking of actually finishing that album. And it, it's a compilation album, meaning that uh, it doesn't belong to one artist. Uh, I, I brought a lot of artists on twenty tracks. There are about twenty-one or twenty-two different artists, and every time I reach out to, you know, an indie musician. Uh, a game musician and they agree to join the album uh, I'd get excited and I would want to work with other musicians and then I realized that it would be cool to uh, try to find uh, one musician I had in mind which is KG Yamagishi and, and KG in particular because uh, as a 
kid, I grew up with, you know, people might know KG from Ninja Gaiden because that's his uh, famous uh, game that he composed, Ninja Gaiden and uh, Tecmo Bowl and Tecmo Super Bowl. But he also composed uh, a soccer anime slash RPG game called Captain Tsubasa, which is only popular in Japan and the Middle East because, you know, soccer is not uh, famous in the US, but it is... Uh, uh, the number one sport in, in Europe, in the Middle East, and, and I would think it's in Japan too. So we, uh, in Kuwait, we had Famicom machines, not uh, the NES, and I played a lot of Captain Tsubasa, and I loved the game a lot. I loved the music a lot, and I played it even when the Super Nintendo was out, the PlayStation 1 was out. And I remember, like, three or four years before I was working on the album, I actually tried to find the musician just because I wanted to know what kind of other music he did. Because at the time I thought if I really enjoyed the Captain Tsubasa music, then I probably would enjoy everything else he uh, worked on. And I remember posting a new a new gaff thread. Uh, people like told me he did the uh, Ninja Gaiden, Tecmo Ball, but no one really knew much about him. And so when I was working in World War II, when, when, when we actually, uh, uh, that, 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 before announcing the album, I was just uh, talking on Twitter to people that, you know, I was working on a music album. It has a lot of people. And I wonder if, if, if I could find KG Yamagishi. And then someone gave me a Facebook page and he told me, you know, maybe, maybe that's his page. Uh, maybe, maybe that's actually him. And I added him and Alex actually, you know, I, uh, I followed Alex for uh, a few years before starting the album. So I just went to Alex on Twitter and told him, you know, can you just translate this short sentence for me, which basically said, uh, are you Moriyama-san? Who, who worked at Tecmo back then. Moriyama-san was his uh, alias or nickname. And he told me yes. And that was a very exciting thing to me because uh, uh, the idea of, of working with uh, a retro musician who composed my favorite gaming soundtrack was just uh, so amazing to me. And so we start talking and since no one knows anything about the guy there are no interviews there's nothing about him i thought it would be nice to just uh, write a long interview with him and i kept asking questions and of course alex was helping me at the time with uh, translating all the questions and all the answers <coughs> and then and then one one question i asked him which kind of uh the idea of, of a music label is I told him so why did you quit making music he uh, you composed Onimusha Tactics on the Game Boy Advance and then that that's basically the last thing that you did and he said that in Japan and uh, around the PlayStation 2 era companies are just looking for uh, film like music which is you know orchestrated music they're not really looking for uh, chiptunes artists yeah. And he, he told me that, you know, I can't really conduct an orchestra. So I felt as if my music was no longer needed. And that really made me sad because to a lot of people, uh, me included, I would love to just listen to anything he, he would make, whether it's uh, new orchestrated music or just, you know, chiptune music. And 
when, when, when I heard that, I just told him about the idea of Fort One Two and that we will be bringing a lot of musicians and he agreed to join. And then he made the track, he gave it to me. I loved it so much. And I, at the time I just suggested, why don't you make a music album? And that was at uh, 2012. I told him, you know, I, I, I would finance everything for you, the, the art, the, the engineering, just everything. All you have to worry about is the, the part of making the music. Mm-hmm. And after some thinking, he agreed. And that's basically how the idea of a music label started uh, is that I, I, I thought, well, if I had World One Two and I'm going to have Cage's album, then there have to be a place to actually hold these albums together because it's not just it's not going to be just one album to be released on iTunes, but maybe a series of albums. Hmm. And then I thought, well, maybe maybe the idea of a music label uh, uh, was right. But here's, I think, where Alex really played a huge role in this because uh, in my mind, I was fine for Brave Wave to be just a net label, they call it, uh, just a music label on the internet. Uh, I was just consumed by the idea of making music that I wasn't really thinking much about the business aspect. And what what, uh, Alex suggested is that why don't we actually make this a company? Because if we make Brave Wave, uh, and it wasn't called Brave Wave, by the way, it, it was called Kuba Soundworks. And one of the things that Alex made me do is change the name, even though I, I didn't like the idea at first, but it, <laughs> it, of course it makes sense because Kuba is Bowser in Japan. And if we're gonna, even though Kuba is not really copyrighted in Japan, but if we went and took that copyright, it's obviously not right. And Nintendo could actually sue us. But what what, what Alex told me is that if we registered Brave Wave as a company, then we could actually go and just work with a lot of other companies and musicians because when you're a real company, you could do a lot of things that just, just being a net label won't do. And uh, that, of course, was a huge uh, aspect of, of Brave Wave becoming not just as uh, an internet thing or, or, or a internet page on the internet but that took us to sponsoring events and uh, working with a lot of artists in Japan and uh, outside of Japan and it was it was a and it still is a, a new and different thing for us because uh, it's my first company and, and and Alex took a huge risk by just quitting his job and committing to a brave wave but I think I think it's a lot of fun to have a goal in mind instead of just producing albums. Because now, of course, we do work with uh, musicians on their solo albums. We do compilation albums, but we're also trying to bring a lot of the really good uh, gaming Japanese artists that don't really have the reach and the influence to work on uh, Western games. And just just uh, yesterday, we announced uh, Manami Matsumai, who mm. uh, people know her from Mega Man and Shovel Knight and Mighty Number no. 9. She's working on a shoot-em-up game called Star Mazer. And that's one of the things we really enjoy doing is that we connect the musicians we got with uh, games that seem like a good fit for them. So... It's it's a, it's a fun thing to do, and uh, it's it's nice to have just uh, uh, a goal to try and achieve to achieve, and uh, obviously that's just uh, 
it's just a lot of fun to be working with uh, your musicians uh, that you uh, that you that I grew up just listening to and loving since I was a kid. Yeah, you brought up a great point about that that time period when a lot of video game soundtracks started turning into orchestral soundtracks that like that like PS One when they got access to CDs, you know, mm-hmm. you could just drop all that you know, pure, you know, uncompressed uh, music on a disc. Like if you throw on a Sega Saturn disc, like most of those tracks are just on there. You can just throw it in a CD drive and, and rip mm-hmm. the music right from the, the, game, the game disc. But uh, yeah, we lost a lot of those awesome, you know, chiptune soundtracks, except for the portable stuff, which is, a, you know, it's great to see that, that, that trend starting to reverse with more uh, indie stuff and more, um, you know, smaller projects out there but alex i wanted to ask you what when did you um when did you really start getting involved like i said I, you know i kind of heard a little bit of that transition through some of the a4 episodes that that you're on um but i remember you like uh, mohammed saying you took a really big leap by going you know all in on this uh yeah <clears throat> i mean it's it's a really long story but i felt <laughs> that um what what's the best way to explain this? Okay, from the beginning, I was just translating emails, so I had very little emotional investment uh, in Mohammed's project at the very beginning. I mean, I thought it was interesting enough, and it was you know maybe a fun part time job to do during off hours, but uh, you know without without like an official like notification, you know the emails just kept coming and coming and coming and. The emails getting longer and longer and longer, and this was around the end of 2012. So, I told Mohammed, you know what? Um, as much as I enjoy, you know, translating these emails for you, and I think they're very interesting, um, it's turning into like a part-time job that takes you know considerable amount of time per day. So, you know, we decided to establish you know an official working relationship. So I would, um, you know, do as many. Uh, translating uh, translations for him as possible and then he'd pay me like a very small salary just you know just uh, more like gratuity money if anything Um, and then I decided to kind of switch gears at one point in 2013 I decided to find new work Um, and then I went to Dubai and I met Mohammed for the first time and then we kind of met in person and when you meet someone in person it kind of changes the dynamic of your relationship you know, it's a lot more close, uh, and you know, you, we were more open to sharing new ideas. And he had told me that he was very interested in kind of taking uh, Koopa Soundworks at the time, maybe toward the next step. Um, he, I mean, because the album had just come out, and uh, it it had performed actually pretty well for uh, I mean, all things considered. So. I told Mohammed, you know, if you ever come to Japan, uh, please come see me again and then we can kind of start uh, maybe doing more stuff together. And so he actually did arrive in the summer of that year for TGS and he went to the show and then we met a bunch of new artists uh, and, you know, the projects just started piling up. Um, at that point, we had World 1-2, World 1-2 Encore, um, our... Our in-plan album, uh, Project Light, was you know coming together, and we were meeting newer new artists. You know, I think every week at that point. Um, yeah. So it, I just felt like, you know, it didn't feel right for it to be like stuck as an internet project as a hobby, right? That 
he and I would both do, um, you know, just, just, you know, when we had time, cause the, the workload, you know, was certainly far beyond that of a hobby and actually much closer to what you would expect out of a full-time job. Uh, you know, the, so the original plan after TGS 2013 was to turn Brave Wave into a real company, a small, uh, small company. I mean, anyone can start a company. So that in itself isn't such an amazing thing to do. Um, Mohammed himself wasn't in a position to start his own company because of his own commitments back home in Kuwait. Uh, and, you know, certain laws there prevented him from being able to do that. But here in Japan, the laws are actually quite flexible. Even if you're not a citizen of Japan, uh, you can actually start your own company uh, with very little impediments. So I decided to take advantage of that. And, you know, after contacting a lot of people, including Hiroko over at 84, uh, I was given, uh, I was, I was put in touch with the right people who can help make that happen. So it took a few months of paperwork and thinking, but finally on January 14th, 2014, uh, just about a year and a week ago, uh, we finally got established here in Japan. Uh, everything passed and yeah, we were a company from that day. That's uh, again. That's I think you guys have really put something incredible together. And uh, you know, again, if you're if you're listening to the show, like this is what they're doing is literally for you. <laughs> if you especially if you're, if you're like you're coming to this like wanting to hear about old video games, um, a lot of the stuff that they're doing is um, like influence. And there's also like it, it almost feels like you're getting like <laughs> excuse me like if. I don't know exactly when this is coming out, but probably by the time that this is out, Retroactive Volume 1 is probably out. If not, you can pre-order it. Um, and with, with that, just that album, I know I'm jumping ahead of myself a little bit, but um, just hearing those tracks and like feeling... I'm going to take another step back. So again, I had too much caffeine today, but when, when I listen <laughs> to like old video game music, the reason why I like chiptune music is the positivity that you, that you get behind a lot of these tracks. Like It's not... Uh, <clears throat> In a world today where you have a lot of, uh, you know, sometimes terrible things going on, listening to some really great upbeat, like chiptune music, whether it be Japanese or otherwise, can be a 
can be really great. And even uh, discovering new stuff, whether it be from old games or what you guys are doing by bringing these composers forward again and having them work on new music uh, is just amazing. So, um, Mohammed, I know you talked a little bit about some of the games that, that you were listening to when you were, you were growing up that, that made you kind of like fall in love with you know, video game music. But uh, like I said, this is kind of a very specific type of music to, to really um, enjoy. So Alex, I was wondering if you could, you know, also talk a little bit about some, some of those games from, from your past, like your childhood that, um, Mm. that really stuck with you, uh, as, as you grew up and made you really enjoy, you know, whether it be these Japanese composers or otherwise. Right. Um, yeah, probably one of the best games from, from my childhood in terms of the game soundtrack would be super Mario RPG. Really? Um, yeah. I I haven't played that game maybe in like 15 years. I mean, I played it a lot when I was young, but I can actually remember I think almost every track from that game. Totally, like the battle music, yeah, it just like totally. It's just like everything. I haven't played it in so many years either, but I know that like dun 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 dun, dun like it just yeah. it's still in my head for some reason. Yeah, whether it's the world map or the battles. And I guess it all comes, you know, into circle because uh I actually did meet Yoko Shimamura for the first time a few months ago, and she's a great, great woman. Um, I'm pretty sure most people know who she is, but yeah, it was very nice to finally meet someone uh, directly tied to the game music that I used to listen to. Because, I mean, with all due respect to Mohammed, I was never really a Mega Man or a, a Ninja Gaiden or a Captain Tsubasa <laughs> fan. Right? I'm, I'm a Resident Evil guy, right? Which is kind of in a different generation, and the music yeah. in that series is also... I think it's pretty good, but it's not, you know, in the same category that we've been trying to push at Brave Wave for the last few years. Um, that would be the big one. Mm-hmm. So it, obviously we're, we won't even talk about the director's cut. <laughs> oh, the, um, well, what was that guy's name? Yeah. I, <laughs> that was, that was, that was, if, if you ever want to like go on YouTube and listen to the original Resident Evil soundtrack versus the director's cut soundtrack and see what kind of mood that puts you in. <laughs> Director's cut dual shock version. Yeah, that's right. I think unfortunately that's the one that's on like PlayStation Network if you go and and download it onto your PlayStation oh, Vita or PS3. Yeah, yeah, on the US PSN, right? Yeah. On the Japanese one it's the original director's cut. Oh man. Yeah. But anyway. What do you got? <laughs> we'll make some calls after the show so we can fix that. But um yeah, so uh, Mohammed, I don't know if there are there any other you know composers or like I, I don't even know if you want to go specific composers, but really just like game soundtracks where you start realizing like like yeah like this is actually really good music. It's not just you know music for like video games, but these are just really well composed tracks. Uh, I think I was lucky that I was uh, I, I had a Famicom when I was a kid and I grew up with the Famicom music because the thing about chip tunes is that. You know, when you're watching a movie and, and when you're dealing with an orchestra, then, of course, you could just do infinite amount of sounds. And for, for example, uh, for, a, for a horror scene or for a frightening scene, you could use specific instruments to get the uh, people who are watching in, into a specific mood. But when you're dealing with chiptunes, you, ha- you only have five sound channels and they all are really hard to program to make music. So musicians had to, you know, when you have such limited sounds, then 
you will probably think of wanting to create jingles uh, and catchy music. And I think that's that's why a lot of, uh, almost all Famicom games and NES games just have these kind of uh, up-tempo, uh, fun, catchy music. It's because uh, I would guess that musicians at the time thought that, okay, this is, uh, this is the medium that we're dealing with. And I almost like what everybody else likes. Uh, Mega Man. I grew up with Mega Man and mm. Captain Tsubasa, Ninja Gaiden. I, I, I Mega Man One was my game. Uh, we borrowed Mega Man Two from a neighbor. Mega Man Three and Four belonged to my brother. So I, I grew up with Mega Man since I was a kid, which which probably explains why I really wanted to uh, work with uh, uh, Manami and and we get lucky. And of course, we now work on a lot of things together. And uh, uh, Final Fantasy, of course, Final Fantasy, Dragon Quest, even though I didn't mm. grow up with Dragon Quest, but uh, I've been a huge fan of Final Fantasy music. Um, and what I liked about Final Fantasy is that even in the PlayStation 1 era, where uh, uh, you could just go for the subtle uh, ambient music, Final Fantasy was still all about the, you know, exciting and jumpy and up-tempo music. Mm. I was, a, a, I, st- I still am a huge fan of, of the battle themes, for example. Uh, I remember that every uh, every f- new Final Fantasy game that would come out, I would just uh, focus on the world map theme and the battle theme because these are the ones that you would just encounter a lot. And uh, I just had a special love with these kind of uh, themes. But it's probably Mega Man music that uh, affected me the most because... Uh, I'm just a huge fan of the of the series, the classic series, and they just happen to have some of the best music uh, in video games to this day. I would say so that that had a big impact on me. Uh, Street Fighter Two is another great mm-hmm. example. It's also composed by Yoko Shimomura, who Alex also loves. She did the Super Mario RPG. She's now uh, working on Final Fantasy Fifteen, oh, and we also awesome. have. Uh, I didn't know that. Yeah, she, she, she's known, I think she's known to different people of different eras because she, of course, she made the Street Fighter 2 soundtrack and she also made Super Mario RPG. She made the Kingdom Hearts soundtrack, the, the entire series. So I, I think she, she's one of the few composers who really appeal to all kind of uh, gamers. She did, you know, fighting soundtracks, RPG soundtracks. Mm. And... Uh, yeah, that's that's. I mean, I can't say that's basically it because there are a lot of games, a lot of uh, composers that I, that I can talk about. But uh, I would say that the hallmarks might be Street Fighter Two, uh, the, the various Mega Man games, and Captain Tsubasa. Since I uh, grew up with it in Final Fantasy, it's always really hard to put into context why uh, you know this music is so important to me. But for like the the best. The best way I can say it is like you're you're playing these games and you're having these experiences and these this music is like it's like the soundtrack's made for you like it's for yeah. your uh, your adventure whether you're playing The Legend of Zelda or whether you're playing you know Mega Man and you're dying for the fiftieth time and you just need to hear that same track over and over again and how versatile this music needs to be and yeah like Alex you're really lucky being out there in Japan because for a lot of new games that come out. Or even for like mm. old games, like right next to me, I have, you know, 
soundtracks that Konami has put out and that right. uh, other companies have put out. Like I have the Castlevania collections of of like these old chiptune soundtracks that you can still get yeah. but you know we we don't really have that out here in america yeah, I think the, yeah. the best we have is like yuzo kashiro's like stuff is on itunes um, right but that's really uh about it so it's uh, funny you mentioned that because um <clears throat> yesterday uh resident evil hd remaster came out mm. and uh, for ps4 and xbox one but the ps4 version got a physical uh physical release but it was actually a bit unusual because it was just a download code right <laughs> for the PSN uh, however in lieu of the Blu-ray disc with the game they gave you the entire game soundtrack oh. soundtrack so it's really you know the soundtrack in a in a DVD case with a PS4 slip in it it's, it was really kind of an unusual release but you know it was kind of interesting and it kind of underscores how important game music probably is still you know for game audiences here in japan yeah it, it is if you ever uh, are bored you're at work maybe you're at work listening to this right now like go on to amazon japan and just look at all the amazing soundtracks and like compilations of like old like arcade soundtracks from like the 80s that they're releasing <laughs> today um, like you can get this stuff on on Amazon if you're I guess if you're in Japan you're probably not going to be able to get it uh, shipped to you in the in the states but it is uh, it is again some of those things that I guess you know us retro gamers appreciate a little bit more than the general population that would just rather pick up uh, Lady Gaga's new uh, <laughs> you know ten tracks on, on on iTunes I do I do like Lady Gaga but it's really it's yeah, really yeah. amazing uh, what, what I like in Japan is that. Game music is really, uh, I mean, Japan is really proud of, of its creation. So yeah. you see a lot of emphasis on game soundtracks, anime soundtracks. And uh, I remember one of my favorite things to do in Japan is to go to Tower Records, which is mm. uh, the biggest place to buy music there. And you could, there's an entire floor of soundtracks. Uh, it has, you know, film soundtracks, anime soundtracks, and they also have a section for game soundtracks. And you could buy, you know, the Final Fantasy stuff, some Capcom stuff, uh, economy stuff. It's really, it's really amazing how much care they put uh, even into into something, uh, you know, as big as a huge record store. It's, it's not like something indie on the side, but it's really it's, it's their biggest um, uh, record store chain, and they just. They simply have gaming soundtracks. Yeah, they actually have record stores in Japan still. Uh, where that, that mm-hmm. is still so weird when I go to like Shibuya and I see a huge Tower Records, I'm like, what? There's actually, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. There, there actually are still you know you know CD stores um, out there. But even like going yeah. to to book offs and seeing like right. uh, like rat, rows and rows of not only like Final Fantasy but um, you know all these other great soundtracks. Not even like last trip out there, I found. Uh, Final Fantasy 1 and 2 soundtrack that was released like in 1990 on CD. So it's not even stuff that's happening today. Like they were doing this way back in the 90s uh, with old chiptune soundtracks. If you could throw it in their, you know, hi-fi stereo system to listen to those awesome 8-bit chiptunes. Yep. So, so, um, you know, I want to toss it back over to to you, Alex, for a second and just, you Mm. know, ask you for... I mean, since since you kind of been on this journey with with Brave Wave, you guys have been putting together some some great stuff. So I was wondering, um, I, I know it's hard to pick favorites, but you know, what are some of your the, the favorite you know people that you've been able to to meet and to talk to and to work mm-hmm. with on these projects? 
Um, I like I like everyone I work with, especially on the Japanese side. Mm. Um, I mean, that's. I guess I should emphasize or maybe explain what I actually do at Brave Wave. I mean, Mohammed's on the creative side, so he's directing albums, he's giving his own feedback, he's working directly with the composers in the creative sense. But what I'm here to do is more business-related like aspects of this job. Business and, I guess, translation, interpretation. I'm making sure that Mohammed is able to smoothly communicate with uh, the artists here in Japan who don't necessarily speak English. Um, and to that end, even though I'm not originally a game music, uh, how do you say it? Affectionado, right? I'm, you know, I'm, I, I, I do have experience from my first company as a, a business development person who, you know, I used to, you know, communicate with clients from different countries. So I still get to do that with this job on a bit of a smaller scale. Uh, but anyway, uh, that has led me to meet a lot of amazing people like Manami Matsumai, for example. Um, I mean, you know, we work with her as a company and then she makes music for us. But I've also kind of become her de facto agent. So uh, if there's anything she needs help with, <laughs> I'm usually helping her. And she's such a wonderful lady. She has a great sense of humor. Um, when I first met her, I, you know, I was trying to maintain a sense of formality with her, but she wasn't having any of that. She's very laid back. Um, you know, if you, if you uh, know the Japanese language, you probably understand it. Like there's a sense of formality you have to use in the language that you uh, use to communicate with others, especially if they're older. Mm. Uh, and of course she's a lot more senior than I am, but she's so easy to work with. She's so fun. Um, we always laugh at each other's emails. Um, we tell a lot of jokes. Um, and yeah, she's a, sounds like she's also enjoying uh, working with Brave Wave and working with Mohammed. Uh, and the other people that I particularly enjoy working with, um, uh, someone that I was able to connect Mohammed to, Saori Kobayashi. Uh, she did uh, the soundtracks for a few of the Panzer Dragoon games and she also did uh, Crimson Dragon uh, in 2013. So she... You know, she's very different from Manami in the sense that she's very formal, but she's very professional at the same time. And Mohammed and I have discovered for ourselves the amount of technical and uh, compositional skill that she has as a, as a kind of an ethnic, uh, maybe epic composer. Mm. Uh, and yeah, I've met many people on this road so far, both in and out of Japan and not just composers, but people who work at other companies who want to work with our composers. Um, yeah, I mean, other names to mention. Maybe Shota Nakama from Video Game Orchestra. Um, I've met him a few times already. Uh, he's a great guy to uh, work with. Uh, you know, and it's... And Brave Wave has also deepened my relationships with people that I had known beforehand but uh, hadn't had the opportunity to work as closely with. Uh, I don't know if you know James Milkey. For example, of course, yeah. From uh, yeah. old, old uh, one-up EGM, and now I, now I think he's yeah. at Sony, right? Uh, no, he's at Shinra. Oh, oh no, yeah, uh, that's right. He went, the yeah. cloud gaming thing. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we we had been friends uh, beforehand, but uh, James Milky had supported Brave Wave through uh, his event Bit Summit for the last two years, so it's kind of been a very nice thing to see. So yeah, I mean, it's. 
I'm, I'm not on the creative side, so I have very little, if anything, to do with the music that you guys are listening to. But from behind the scenes, um, it's very fun for me to be actively engaged with these people. I think, uh, you know, the reason I, uh, I mean, a lot of people ask me, well, if, if you're doing if you're doing all the creative aspects, then why do you need someone like Alex? And the thing about Alex is that uh, back then, when he was just doing translations uh, for, for my emails, you know, my interviews are really yeah, extensive and um, I don't, like, like instead of, usually if, if, if you want to do an email interview, you would send, for example, 10 questions and then the artist or, or the person might, uh, you know, he will answer those 10 questions and then maybe you will have one or two or three extra questions. But what I did is, I opened a document, you know, the, a, a Google document. And the, the great thing about Google Doc is that, you know, it's a collaborative effort. You could invite people to edit. And what, what I usually do is I would uh, ask uh, KG, for example, I would ask him three questions. And then because, you know, I really don't know anything about him. And he would reply. And Alex would really translate almost instantly. He, would, he was really fast at translating uh, these uh, questions and answers and then based on those answers I would give him more questions and I, and we we kept at it for a month and <laughs> when it's just you know if, if I just give Alex um, a long document to translate he would do that but when it's when it's something you will you, you would work on almost every day and you're just translating bits and pieces and it's just it kept going on and on and on and he was just really fast at it so I didn't even need to look for someone else when I actually uh, uh, realized that I would be working with a lot of uh, Japanese people because I just I just I was lucky really lucky to have uh, someone like Alex who is uh, fast who really knows uh, Japanese well uh, and it was uh, I think a lot of fun mm. to just to, to just even though I really want to learn Japanese just to make it easier on the musicians when I go to Japan and sit, sit down with, with them. But uh, Alex's involvement is really crucial when, especially when, for example, uh, dealing with uh, uh, Japanese artists, because for KG's album, you know, it's his solo album. He's not doing a track or two, but it's his own thing. So uh, KG, is, his English is, is good, but sometimes we would uh, need someone who would just really understand Japanese and, 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 and it's just a safe net for uh, uh, KG and Manami and all of them to know that, okay, they have a creative guy who's, who, who's making sure that the albums are good and their communication is good, but it's also important to just have someone be in Japan and just be in direct contact with them. They can call him if, uh, if they have anything in mind. And that's really uh, a great thing. And I, I just keep saying how I think... Both of us were lucky that we both fulfilled our parts of the, you know, various agreements because it's really, it's really, I think, weird to have an internet company where I'm in Kuwait and right. he's in Japan mm. and, and, you know, he quit his job for this, but I'm not actually mm -hmm. in Japan. So you would guess that it's, uh, uh, it's, it is a, a big risk, of course, but I think it's, it's, mm -hmm. it's been working great so far and uh, yeah. uh, it's, definitely, it's definitely a great thing I just wanted to throw in like an, 
like a funny anecdote that Mohammed told me once. Um, apparently, because we share a lot of our information on Google Docs, right? And if one person's editing it, I mean, if both people have them open at the same time, mm-hmm. uh, you can actually see what the other person's doing uh, with a bit of a time lag. But usually it's a pretty fast. Um, I think Mohammed had sent me something and... Uh, I immediately started translating it and Mohammed could literally see what I was typing and what I was erasing and what I was uh, editing and changing, you know, from his own screen because I had already gone into the document, but he still had it open. So, you know, I always thought that was kind of uh, interesting and, you know, we have the internet to be thankful to for, uh, you know, making Brave Wave possible because it truly is a global experience, a global company. I mean, not not a global company like a global Fortune 500 whatever company, but I mean, like we we operate in at least three different time zones a day. Mm. Um, yeah. Our, I'm of course in Japan, which is um, ahead of everyone, and then Mohammed's five hours behind. Um, so that's not too bad of a time gap, actually. It's uh, mm-hmm. pretty manageable. We're both awake at the same time for the most part. And then our engineer, Marco, is in Switzerland, which I think is eight hours behind Japan and three behind Kuwait, maybe? Mm. Or, uh, two, two hours behind Kuwait. Oh, two hours behind Kuwait. Sorry. Yeah, and then, mm. you know, depending on which musician we're working with, we'll be working with someone in London or someone in uh, California. Uh, we have clients in Indonesia, in Taiwan, in the States, Europe, so forth, so... Uh, even for a really tiny company like Brave Wave, uh, we really depend on, you know, this overseas presence and the contribution that everyone makes at different points in the globe. And it, it is it is an internet uh, company in the sense that I I knew Alex from NewGaf and Twitter, uh, mainly Twitter, because I, I don't really, I never was uh, a NewGaf uh Lurker, I would say, uh, but uh, we knew each other from Twitter. We, we followed each other for a few years before actually starting uh, Brave Wave. So I knew Alex from Twitter, and then I found KG from on Facebook. I found Manami on SoundCloud, uh, and uh, I, of course, just knew all the musicians from World One Two. You know, including Akira Yamaoka of Silent Hell and Austin Wintry from Journey, mm-hmm. uh, all, all just from randomly contacting them and wanting to work with them. So it's really, it's really amazing to realize that without the internet and with, without social networks, this album probably wouldn't have been, all the albums wouldn't have been possible because it's really a product of its generation. This, this internet, yeah. uh, social networks, Twitter, Facebook generation. What's which is, mm-hmm. oh, sorry. I'm sorry. Oh, no, I was, I was going to say, we, we also got to talk about retroactive guys.
actually, I, I, I just I just pushed the button to release the pre-order, and uh, yeah, and and there should be a there should be a polygon, uh, a fun polygon story. Uh, I have yet to read it, uh, but I I know I know that uh, Matt Leon from Polygon he flew to Japan. I, I think he oh, cool. he met. Uh, he met a number of, of, of Japanese developers and creators. Uh, one of them is KG. And so retroactive, as I said in the beginning of the of this episode, uh, you know, after KG, after we did the interview and I asked him to make one track for the album World One Two, and I love the track so much that I asked him to make a solo album. And he kept working on it. And uh, the idea is that uh, when you when you when you listen to a gaming soundtrack, like for example Mega Man, you have a set of rules. Like you want the track to be short enough for it to loop again and again, because most likely people will finish a Mega Man stage, depending on how good they are, from three minutes to at worst, let's say ten minutes. So or never. You, <laughs> or never. Yeah, that, that that's one of them. So. Uh, you don't want it to be so long that people could just finish it without it, without the track really looping back again. Again, and you you want it to be a catchy track, uh, so it could get stuck in people's uh, uh, heads. But when making a solo album, you could really just do anything. So the basic idea is that we wanted to do a, a, a chiptunes album. But without all the restrictions imposed on you as a composer when you're composing a soundtrack. So there is no need to make a, a short piece of tracks. Uh, you don't have to make just, you know, 30 seconds, 40 seconds of music. But he, he, he would be able to do anything. At, at, and at the time, I really, I really didn't know any aspect of, of producing an album. I just loved KG so much that I simply wanted new, mu- new music for, for him. But uh, through the course of you know, f- uh, forming the company and producing the albums, making the albums, I got in touch with an amazing friend and engineer, Marco Guardia. Uh, he's our uh, technical supervisor, mixing engineer. And through him, I learned a lot of uh, stuff uh, from producing music to, to uh, understanding the concept of, of making music. And uh, uh, he, he was the one who was uh, directing all, uh, KG's Retroactive with me. And uh, he, he mixed the entire album, uh, which, which is what gives it this uh, highly polished, uh, uh, great sound, stereo sound. <laughs> And uh, it's it's been I think two years since since I started working on this album, and it's taking a lot of time to come together. But I'm I'm just really happy that uh, we finally released something, and and it's really I think I mean I'm biased, but I really love the album, uh, and I've been listening to some of these tracks for at least a year. Uh, some of them maybe more than eighteen, sixteen months. But they were just demos. They, they weren't mixed. They weren't finished yet. KJ would just send me stuff. I would like them. I would comment on them. And, you know, the circle would go on and on. Uh, but it's really amazing to finally see uh, uh, KJ finally releasing his first ever solo album. It's definitely something I'm very proud of. I, I, I don't know. How would you describe the the, the songs and the, the album? Because there's definitely some, there's definitely chip tunes to it. But then there's also... Uh, some more like club 
kind of feel to to some of the tracks yeah. and uh there there's definitely a bunch of uh, you know layers to like i don't even i'm really bad at describing music but there's definitely some layers to you know some of the tracks and uh there's like a story being told in some of them too uh, mm. which makes them really really interesting to to listen to so you don't you don't get sick of the songs after hearing them a couple times it has that that format of like you can listen to it over and over and over again and still have Mm -hmm. you know the same kind of emotion the same kind of uh you know have a blast listening to it i think well of course it's electronic music but if you want to go deep it would be uh i think uh, new chiptunes because it's not it's not really nes music it's it's a modern production modern sounds but uh, it is it is basically modern chip tunes uh and and we have uh, on i think three or four tracks we have actual real guitars on it because and it's one of those funny stories because when marco was actually mixing uh the tracks uh he told me you know there are actually a number of fake guitar sounds a fake guitar is basically just you know not a real guitar but uh, kg simulated the sound and he said well why don't we just bring a, a guitarist into it and we contacted stimage he's from a, a popular cover band uh, called Metroid Metal and he, he's, he's a great musician, great artist uh, I met him in Japan uh, in March of 2014 and we told we told him we need your help in just making awesome uh, guitars for Cage's tracks and we uh, basically saw that we have four tracks that need real guitars and we, we, we let Stemage do his work so some of them sound a little bit like Anamanaguchi and that there is this marriage between chiptunes and guitars, uh, like Bounty Hunter or Memories of Tea. And then you have uh, some of them that are a mix of modern electron- electronic sound and just modern chiptune sound. And uh, KG also has a collaboration with Manami Matsumai, the Mega Man composer. It's called Kaleidoscope. And it's uh, it's this one is the club track uh, I think, uh, and uh, Marco produced it with KG, with the premise of of giving this uh, clubby, uh, dancey vibe. So I think it's 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 a it's a mix of electronic chip tunes, guitars, club, which I think comes out really well and is a lot of fun to listen to. It's definitely an upbeat, uh, fun album. Hmm. That's not, it's not something that you're gonna, you know, make you make you tear up. You're definitely gonna like <laughs> it. Like I, I listen to it. Like I, um, like I said, I do some like work at the computer. Like midday, when I start getting like when you feel like you're gonna need that next cup of coffee, mm-hmm. and I throw this on before I go and like my real job is, is coaching athletes and stuff and working as a as a strength coach and having that uh, really like get my mood in the right spot. You know, before going and trying to inspire others is uh, is. Uh, is just the right thing, and uh, like I, I, you know, I've I've had some people come on before, like talk about their games or talk about what they've been working on, and I don't think I can recommend something uh, more highly than this album. Uh, like like we were talking about before, you can go to the the Brave Wave store and you can listen to a couple of the tracks just streaming in your in your browser. But um, you guys are working with is it uh, SoundCloud to to distribute? Uh, Bandcamp. A uh, Bandcamp. Why am I thinking about that? Uh, for people who don't like Bandcamp or don't like uh, don't know Bandcamp, the album is already up on iTunes, on Amazon, and it will be up on Google Play. So oh, cool. you can just choose whichever venue that uh, uh, you prefer. 
to, you, to buy the music. You want SoundCloud so you can get those black versions of the, the tracks. That's why I always end up buying uh, stuff mm. through them, just because you can get like awesome flack versions, lossless to uh, have for the the library. I gotta ask though, is there is there any other any plans to do a, like a physical release as well? Right now, it's available for a digital download. Yeah. Uh, so the idea of making retroactive into different parts is because Cage uh, right now he's uh, uh, composing a Marvelous game, mm-hmm. and he had to just pause working on on his album. And the idea, our original idea, was to release Cage's album sometime in June or July, but we thought. It would be a shame to just like we already have six finished tracks and we have extra three remixes and it would be a shame to just hold on to them for another seven months when we could just easily split the album into a few parts and uh, uh, release them whenever we're done with them. So retroactive part one is already uh, the pre-order is released. Part two we're trying to finish it and have it uh, released by maybe July, maybe August. Oh, wow. And after that, uh, after that, we would just make a physical release with all the music that we have done. So instead of making a CD uh, for just part one and then a CD for just part two, we're just waiting until the retroactive, I think, saga would be just all finished and ha- giving it all in just one CD and... Uh, we're still we're still working the details of the CD because we're trying to make something a little bit more exciting. Maybe it'll be a box set uh, uh, with uh, a very long interview with KG and how he made the, tra- uh, the tracks and commentaries on each track, stuff like that. So hopefully, hopefully it would be something uh, more dense than the previous albums that we uh, released, the previous CDs. Uh, so hopefully at the end of the year, we will have some... A CD ready for people who maybe just prefer a physical copy instead of just digital. Well, if you're interested, uh, go to store.bravewave.net, um, and there you can get access to uh, not only Retroactive Part 1, but all the other albums that they have uh, put out. And there's also physical releases of uh, a couple of the albums. Um, I know I ordered ordered one of those, and uh, just really, really awesome music. Like, you should check it out. Like, if you like video game music at all, you should really go check out the stuff that they have up there. Uh, on their store and it's like all incredibly reasonably priced like retroactive is eight bucks like it's eight dollars and if you like it you can do that you know it's that thing where you can do like eight dollars or name your price like any any uh amount above that so um like i said you can you can jump on their store uh like muhammad said you can go to itunes or wherever pretty much wherever you would buy mp3s these days um, hopefully people would buy from our store because we get 90 percent of sales from our store while do that, we yeah. only yeah we only get 55 from itunes and probably even less from amazon uh but we still we still just uh need, need to release uh, our album in all these venues just because people sometimes want them yeah, iTunes is a pain in the butt. Go to go go to go to store.bravewave.net, and there you can, like I said, you can get the FLAC versions, and it let, lets you download like the FLAC version and the MP3 version. You can get the MP3 per, MP3 and like 320 consistent bitrate. Like for people that are crazy about you know sound quality, like me, mm-hmm. uh, this is probably the the best place to go, and that's where I end up buying. Oddly enough, most of my music now uh, is through the uh, the Bandcamp uh, website. So. 
Um, but I, I would be, it would be really bad if, if we had Alex on the show. We did talk a little bit about Resident Evil. Like we got <laughs> to get like our minimum effective dosage of Resident Evil uh, in the episode. And we're like Alex was saying, we're recording this like right as uh, the Resident Evil remake HD edition or whatever. Mm. Like it's, I feel like it's almost to the point where it's that awesome like Dead Rising HD like remix dash you know all that that crazy mm. downloadable content name that they had for uh that stuff at e3 but um i oh, yeah. I, I could ask have you have you played any of it have do you have any early impressions of how the the hd version of the remake holds up um i actually did play the ps3 version that came out here in japan mm-hmm. two months ago so i um, mean it wasn't like a completely new experience i mean regardless of the fact that it wasn't an original game to begin with but yeah, it looks nice on the new H, uh, next-gen systems. I, I'm, although I'm hearing that um, the PC version is actually the one to go. It has 60 frames per second, uh, has the highest graphical settings, whereas the PS4 and Xbox One versions are actually equivalent to the lower settings on PC. Uh, okay. I'm actually playing the PS4 version, but I'm not playing it on the big screen. I'm actually playing it on the Vita, the remote play. <laughs> Which That's is awesome. actually an amazing, amazing experience, and now it makes me want a native version uh, that you know you can play wherever you are in the world. Uh, I think it actually plays really well on the Vita. It looks really nice on the screen as well. So, well, well, yeah, I mean, if go ahead. I was, I was going to say, well, I mean, with that partners program, at least we're getting revelations too. <laughs> Come yeah, to yeah, that's that's better than nothing. Um, uh, I think. Yeah, that game will probably be pretty good on the Vita as well. But now I'm just like hoping <laughs> every Resident Evil game can come out on Vita. Or <laughs> you, Alex, you won't find a bigger Vita supporter than me. Um, but I don't know, man. I don't. I don't know how how much yeah. how much life is left in that that thing unless uh, Sony keeps fronting the money for for people to keep porting stuff to it. But. Yeah, it's too bad. Uh, I can it's hope. too bad because I think it's a pretty nice system, especially the revision that they have uh, that's lighter and has a really long battery life. Totally. Like I mean, you go to uh, go not even just Japan, you can get the black one here. But if you go to Japan, you can get a nice region free in like a thousand mm-hmm. different colors now. Definitely. <laughs> it's still a pretty big handheld here. So. I got I'm my glad fingers crossed. Right. Yeah, we got we got great companies like whether it be you know the the guys at at eight four Atlas Xseed trying to translate as much of this stuff as possible to uh, mm. get it over to the states. So at least we'll get some nice Japanese retail releases. Hopefully they won't all be um, you know anime visual novels. Um, right. You know, we could use some more, some more other cool stuff. But I think with the uh, with the Vita, at least we're getting an incredible. Like there's I, there was that thing on Gaff. It's like 350 games coming to the Vita in the next year and a half. Like it's gonna have something on it. Um, yeah. I mean, I definitely would love to talk to you more about Resident Evil at some point. Um, totally. Totally. I did. I did do a podcast with eight uh, four over three years ago and we're still waiting for part two so <laughs> i gotta call out mark mcdonald in public and tell him to finally pick a date we can finish it <laughs> yeah I, that's uh that's something that 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 should happen i guess you should really just like walk down to the office and show up some thursday afternoon and just force <laughs> them to force them to do it because that's not something <laughs> that that you want to do but i know a lot of people have been on their ass about it so 
Um, I'm still open to doing it. I'd love to finish it finally. I mean, we kind of left off. Uh, well, Resident you know, Evil like, 6 kind of killed it a little bit. I guess everyone got bummed out about Resident Evil 6 and then uh, the enthusiasm yeah, kind of yeah. died out. That would have that been the time to do something like kind of very, like truly retrospective. And I have a lot of material I'd love to talk about. But uh, anyway, maybe we can go get something together totally uh, in the coming weeks for revelations too if you like so oh, hell i'm gonna be out in japan in march so maybe we'll oh, just really? sit down okay. and do something and uh bring a portable recorder or something like that it's not the beginning of the month right uh i, I think i'm gonna be there at, like i haven't booked my stuff but i gotta be out there for work so probably towards the end of uh, march all right um, it's a lot better uh talk about some some uh biohazard of course the uh Japanese will, name. will you be at gdc no, I don't. I'm not like I won't be doing anything. Like I don't do anything work related in the the game industry. It's just just podcasting stuff, and then I show up at in Japan a couple times a year. Okay, okay, got it. Um, all right, well let's uh, let's let's wrap things up. And uh, you now again, like I said, I can't recommend it enough. And I know we we only got a little bit of time to talk about Resident Evil, but. Um, I, I will say for for everyone out there, uh, as many times as I can, like if you're interested in this stuff at all, make sure you go check out uh, the retroactive album. It is uh, re- retroactive uh, part one album. It is just uh, a great listen and uh, well worth the the eight dollars uh, that you can get at store dot bravewave dot net. And uh, for uh, the podcast, you can make sure you can subscribe to that on on iTunes and submit reviews if you enjoy it. And it uh, looks like the the week after. After this, I don't know exactly what we're going to be doing, but um, I'm sure there'll be some more uh, cool retro stuff uh, around the corner. So, um, Alex, thank you so much for for taking the time to come on the show. Thank you for inviting me. And of course, uh, Muhammad, thank you for uh, you know coming on and organizing all this stuff and uh, putting together a fantastic album. Thank you for having me, and I hope everyone enjoys these albums. At least retroactive, check it out. Absolutely. And uh, that's going to do it for this episode. Thank you, as always, for for listening. And uh, make sure to check out all those great websites. I'll have all the info for everything in the show notes if you need to at backofmyplay.com, and uh, including like Twitter handles for all these guys. So make sure you're following them so you can stay up to date on what uh, Brave Wave is uh, up to as well. So thanks again, and have a great rest of the week. <laughs>